rumor, a currently circulating story or report of uncertain or questionable truth. This is Rumors of Grace, where I talk to people rumored to have found beauty and truth in broken and uncommon places. Hello and welcome to another episode of Rumors of Grace. This is Bob Hutchins. Welcome. Today I have a very special guest. Her name is Susan Charest. Susan is a published writer, an artist, and proud member of the Society of Children Book Writers and Illustrators. Uh, She's a writer for several different magazines and blogs, including Catholic365.com, SunshineBlog.com. She's also an artist, and that's how I came across Susan. I was going through my Instagram feed, and I came across this very, very interesting-looking artwork. It really resonated with me, and the more I looked at a couple of these photos, I realized this person is right in my backyard here in Franklin, Tennessee, where I live. And so I just happened to reach out, and I said, would you be willing to come on my podcast? I'd love to hear your story, talk about your art. She immediately agreed, and so Susan is here with me. Before we speak with Susan, I just want to add that her art uh, can be seen at Etsy, and it's under Sunshine Love. That's S-O-N-S-H-I-N-E, love. And she's got lots of different things to talk to us about today. She's going to talk about the loss of a child. Uh, she's going to talk about her art, her writing, and her journey in general. So, Susan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Great. Susan, talk to me a little bit about um, your background and your history before we get into <laughs> the deep stuff. <laughs> we always like to talk about, okay, what's the, what's the background? What's the story? Um, because I believe that it's really important that where you come from, the things you, you go through, Uh, Your history has a lot to do with your future and uh, what you've experienced in your life. I'm sure there's lots of connections to your upbringing, where you were born, you know, your previous life as an IT consultant and all that. So um, where were you born originally and what part of the the world did you, were you raised? Well, I was born in the Northeast uh, section of uh, Philadelphia Mm. Um, and we lived there up until I was in grammar school. Um, and then uh, the city that we lived in um, started to become unsafe. There was a high crime rate, and my dad was like, well, I think it's time for us to move to the suburbs. So we moved to South Jersey, and I grew up there, mm. South Jersey. And what, how old were you when you left there? Um, I believe I was about seven years old. Okay. And yep. siblings? or? Yep. I have two older sisters um, and one younger brother. So I am the third daughter, three mm. out of four. And growing up, both your, your, your parents, I mean, what, what was it like growing up? Well, I come from a very humble family, mm-hmm. um, blue-collared. Uh, my dad uh, was a truck driver, and my mom, um, she stayed at home up until I was in high school, and then she went back to work in an office, office environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had um, a dad that liked to drink, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, um, and a mom that kind of was the glue in our family that kept us together. Um, very uh, close to my siblings. We kind of were in it together 
And, um, yeah, I mean, some hardships. I was a very sensitive kid, probably the most sensitive out of my family. So I felt things deeply at a very Mm -hmm. young age. Mm -hmm. Um, I kind of knew when I got to high school that that environment that I grew up in wasn't the most nurturing uh, for me to move to the, to the next step. Yeah. So you went through um, school, and, and did you go to college? Or? I did a little bit of college. Okay. Um, I, you know, it's probably a very, um, uh, I jumped around a lot, a very unorthodox way of, I never finished my four-year degree. Um, I went to community college because I had to put myself through it, so I worked full-time. Mm. Um, but, you know, back in the 80s, there was this push to learn technology, mm. and they couldn't wait for someone to have a four-year degree. So I started working um, with companies that were paying for me to be certified in different um, in different programs. So uh, I kind of went up quickly in the ranks in terms of um, just curious and wanting to learn, and, mm. and I just kept feeding it. So as a female in the IT industry in the 80s, um, I can imagine uh, 80s and early 90s, that that was, was that common? It was not. Mm-hmm. That is such a good question. It was not common. So I think I've always had this um, rebel inside that tell me I can't do something and, and I'll try really hard to do mm-hmm. it. And so I think as people doubt it, my ability to keep pace with what was really a, a male-dominant world, um, it just made me push harder and mm-hmm. harder and show up. And mm-hmm. um, I think as women sometimes um, is, are able to communicate a bit better, so that helped me work with the program and articulate some of the, the business um, objectives. So, mm. so I did enjoy that aspect of it. So, so you um, went into the IT industry, which I guess can be very cerebral on one sense, mm-hmm. but at the same time, uh, I know I have a little bit of background that myself. It can also be very creative. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of this um, dual brain thing going on many times in the IT business because you have to be... Mm-hmm analytical you have to be exact with the code there's very clear uh, objectives and things that have to be met but at the same time the whole process of which a lot of people don't understand mm-hmm. of coding um, is very creative because no coder is exactly the same right exactly no code is exactly the same and you're actually creating something from nothing mm. and I think that was what really led me to say okay this hasn't been done before mm. how can I do this and how mm. can I put it out there and make it useful? That's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you weren't in uh, doing art at that time, right? I wasn't, no. So all of the things as uh, you know that I enjoy doing as a child, I feel like as I got older and had to be more responsible because of my family situation, I kind of suppressed that, and, mm. I, and I just forgot about that side of mm. my, my heart. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so you jump into the workforce, you're um, transferring. I think you said you moved down to the Space Coast, you were working down in Florida. Um, Talk to me about how did you meet your husband? Okay, so um, moving down to Florida, um, I was in a relationship with someone at the time that moved us down there. So Mm. we... um, that was kind of my ticket to get out from the environment that that I grew up in. And we moved down to Vieira, Florida, which is uh, right outside of Merritt Island and Cocoa Beach. Um, And I was doing some contract work. And at the time, uh, Kennedy Space Center was looking for some IT support. Um, And so I applied and met with um, the tech company, and they hired me for a four-month contract. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. So, yeah. So you were down there. I was down there, and I and I did contract after contract, and it, <laughs> it didn't sit too well with my soul of never knowing every four months if I was going to be picked up or not. Mm. So I thought, I really do love this area, um, so let me see, uh, let me put my resume out. Um, and at the time, there was um, Premier Cruise Line uh, was looking for an IT uh, technician mm-hmm. to work on their cruise ships, so I applied and... Um, and I got the job and, and that really, that was the first time that this little, you know, girl from Jersey was able to see the world. Cause I mm. would have never, uh, been able to, or afford to be able to see the world. Like so did I you did actually work the on the cruise ships? That's a good question. So I started out just meeting the ship at port mm-hmm. and port Canaveral and I would meet it, um, twice a week, go on board and then fix all, fix all their issues that they had. And then I would just go back. I had an apartment, um, in Cocoa beach. Um, so I wasn't working, but as, um, I did that for about a year then those particular um, ships, I'm sorry, that particular company um, acquired two more cruise lines. Mm. So then there was a promotion, a job promotion to actually manage the systems on board the fleet. Wow. So at that point, I was jumping from ship to ship and living on board mm. and then going with the ship and dry dock and So you installing. went all over the southern so, world, yes, literally. Yes, yes, literally. And it was probably... Um, I had a lot of naivety, I think, at the time, mm-hmm. um, but the, in terms of growing um, and understanding different cultures mm. and, and how to work together, it's a floating island, mm. so you really need to lean on one another to get things done. It was just an awesome, awesome experience. Well, what's that like with you know a young girl from Pennsylvania that ends up moving down to Florida? Now, all of a sudden, you're traveling, literally traveling all over the world. What was that like for you? Did you like it? I loved it. Okay. I loved it. I mean, every time we were in port, um, I would work mainly at night with IT because that's when we would bring the systems down. So during the day at at port, I was the typical geeky nerd, you know, with the map, you know, (laughs) buying the books and trying to figure out, you know, you know, where am I? What's the history of, you know, here and, and really soak it all up in and just with the sense of gratitude, like, Mm. and humbleness that I know that I... How how did I get here? You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it was a pretty. Did you find you know. yourself? Uh, did you find your, or were you conscious of your mind and your heart and your world? Was it expanding at that time, or was it just this is a cool experience and you weren't even thinking on that level? You know what? I, I don't think I was really. Uh, thinking on a deep analytical sure, layer. I sure. think I was just having fun. I was yeah, in my exactly. 20s. Um, you know, I made, and, and it wasn't all unicorns and Skittles and stuff. I mean, <laughs> it, it was it was fun, and I also made mistakes. You mm-hmm. know, I was naive with certain uh, trust and situations that um, that it's only by God's grace, you know, mm-hmm. that I've, I've kind of bloomed from that. But um, but I did soak it all in, and, and, I, and I felt very alive and, and being... Um, my worldview just kept expanding. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. So how long did you do that? Um, I did that for about uh, four and a half years. Okay. And then what happened? And then um, (laughs) the the cruise line that I was on got purchased by another cruise line. So they had brought in all their own management and my job was uh, dwindling down. So I was handing off my responsibilities and looking for another job, um, which led me to Lake Mary, Florida. Uh, I was hired by an IT healthcare company 
and that's where I met my husband. Okay. So um, we uh, met the first month, and um, I remember he came in and introduced himself to me, and uh, he's got really big dimples, and he just smiled and said his name, and I'm like, oh, why is my heart fluttering like this? But um, we moved in four months after that, and then six months after that, we were married. Wow. So, yeah. And was this the, the man of your dreams? You know what? <laughs> 20 years Loaded later. Question. Yeah, 20 years later. Um, I, I think where I, what I lack, he helps with, mm. and, and I think he stretches me. Mm. Um, again, it's not all unicorns and skittles. Sure. I mean, there's peaks and valleys. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I think he stretches me without breaking me. Mm. I think it's, it's just this constant. He's a very, he's a rock, you know, he's very linear and methodical and, and I'm more free spirited and, and, uh, you know, just kind of feel life through emotions and he's very intellectual with how he approaches things and mm. and um so i think god god loved me so much that he gave me my husband mm. that's what i say that's, that's wonderful but, yeah and what what's his background his background is it as well okay. yeah so he okay. um he was a um I want to say project manager when I met him, and now he um, he's an executive in a healthcare company in Nashville, okay. and he does uh, product management. Okay, yeah. so um, I know you have uh, four children now, right? We do. Okay, and um, talk to me a little bit about what your early life was, and I know that there was... Um, you know, a devastating thing that happened. Do you want to lead up to that? Sure. Or, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I'd be happy to. So, um, after Todd and I met, uh, we were both and we got married, we were 29. Mm-hmm. So, um, I always wanted a huge family. I love kids. I am a kid. I, I just, I just love the energy and the, everything. So we started early to try to have a family and it took us a little bit. It took us a year and a half. Um, and then we, uh, found out we were pregnant with our daughter, Hannah mm-hmm. And everything was going really well. Um, we went and listened to our heartbeat for the first time. Um, and then we went to our 21-week sonogram where we found out it was Hannah, a girl. Mm-hmm. And everything appeared to be okay. I mean, my placenta was low, you know, but, but all in all, I wasn't having any, any issues with pregnancy. A couple weeks after that, I started to, to spot and uh, my doctor told me to go to the emergency room. So again, they ran some tests and, and thought everything was okay. And then a couple of weeks after that, um, it just, I was having labor um, pain. And then um, my, I started leaking amniotic fluid. Hmm. And so at that point, they called me in and did a sonogram and realized that there was no fluid around Hannah. Hmm. So... Um, the amniotic fluid is so important with development of the lungs and so forth. So I knew what that all meant because I was following along with my what to expect when you're expecting book. You know, I was on it. So uh, the doctor said, well, this is what we're going to do. We're going to put you in hospital and you're going to be on bed rest. And we're going to see if your amniotic fluid pl- plugs back up and that your body retains it and, and she continues to grow. Well, we were in there for a couple of weeks, um, and it was strict bed rest. I mean, I was catheterized and everything, and um, and I never been such dependent on so many people, you know. And uh, and I remember my grandmother sent a statue of Mary mm-hmm. um, to be by my bedside, and uh, and I prayed the rosary and mm-hmm. I prayed to her. 
so the day came where we had to now um, look at the amniotic fluid. We were, we were looking at it weekly to see if it would regenerate. And um, I never forget that my husband wheeled me down and um, our doctor turned on the monitor and um, he looked at her and he said, not viable. Mm-hmm. And he shut the he shut the monitor off, mm-hmm. and I couldn't understand at that moment like what, sorry, what that all meant. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't understand how something that was someone was thriving in my womb was now not viable. Mm-hmm. So he explained to us that she was uh, encased in in the sack and that she um, would probably die um, mm-hmm. because she, she was suffocating in a sink and her the amniotic uh, fluid wasn't helping the cord was suppressed um, so we needed to make a decision and I started to run a fever that night mm-hmm. um, so infection was setting in so after that I remember my husband wheeling me around because I didn't want to go to back to my hospital room and he wheeled me around outside and it was like I was in this mouse maze of just going around and around and I just needed to really um, understand the gravity of that moment and I asked him to take me to the chapel um, because I felt as though I needed God to talk to him and, and see where he is and all of this. And I remember him wheeling me up before we got into the chapel. There was a picture um, of Jesus and there was a, a little girl on a cloud and it said the invitation on it. Mm. And, I, and I remember heaven, the, is heaven the invitation? You know, what, what does that mean? What, what is he speaking to me about? So I just poured everything out there I just mm. I surrendered to all the sorrow and I cried and wailed and and um, sat there for a couple of hours just in the stillness of it and my husband brought me back up to the room and um, I started having contractions at that point so um, so we went on to have Hannah uh, the following morning uh, we delivered her and uh, she lived for about eight minutes mm. and we got to hold her and count her fingers and her toes mm. and and uh, and really kind of marvel um, and and we um, we were stuck in that grief you know and it didn't lift it just we were glad that we got to see her and say goodbye but we didn't talk to one another after we handed her back mm. to the nurses we just kind of sat there and I remember being just so exhausted and so tired so Todd had uh, climbed into bed with me at that point to lay down and we actually slept through that day and woke up the next morning and we shared our experience. It was time to talk. We talked to each other and the feeling, um, and, and I think this was the encounter that I'm writing about in my book, um, the feeling of feeling um, held in God's hand at that moment mm. um, is really undescriptive. Um, it, it just felt like there was nowhere that peace and love was not touching. Mm. Um, I just felt very held in that moment. Mm. And the chaplain came by that day uh, to say a ple- blessing over us, and he hand us a, a card, and on the card it says, I will hold you in my hand, mm. the palm of my hand. And it was just so fitting because that's mm-hmm. exactly how we felt. Did, and was your was your husband with you in this feeling too? Was he in the same yes. kind of? Okay. Yes, and that's. I wasn't sure if it was drug induced. I didn't know if it was. Um, 
if I was in it alone. But when we shared what we felt and we confirmed it, um, we went from a knowing, uh, from believing there's a God to knowing, to really knowing Mm. that there's a God. So experiences like this historically... um, can either you know bring a couple really really close, or it can really separate them, depending on you know how that's handled and managed and mm-hmm. all those things, um, circumstances. So, how, how did what did it do to your marriage? It brought us together closer. Okay. It did. We were blessed. Um, we had done some counseling right after that that the hospital provided for us. And I think that was a catalyst um, also to just be present and to communicate and to not shut down and, and you know, retreat to our corners. Like we, yeah. we had to work at that for certain. Mm, yeah. Mm. And uh, talk to me what's going through your mind. You know, you, you go through this. Um, period of you say feeling comforted and held and you know the presence of God mm-hmm. did that last was there you know the stages of grief and mourning what what was the next weeks and months like yeah you know that feeling lasted for that night only mm. um, it was almost like a taste of what heaven was mm. like it, it, it didn't it didn't pull me back into the past. It didn't make me too far ahead in the future. It just, it begged me to be present mm-hmm. and to be comforted mm-hmm. and to not have any worry. And right. that's exactly how my husband explained it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that feeling um, evaporated um, after the next day. And then the work of um, making funeral arrangements for our daughter mm-hmm. kicked in. And... Um, and, and and I hit a low a few times in that, um, sure. just waving over me and and um, and just you know having her cremated and bringing her home, which I should have been bringing her home in her baby carrier. You know all of those uh, moments. Um, I, I wish that that would have sustained me that moment of heaven, but but it but it was a good reminder yeah. that there's more. How long did it take you to? think about having another child? Well, I want it for certain. That's what I wanted. I wanted something for certain. Mm. I wanted a child for certain, Mm. you know? So for certain, what that looked like to us was adoption. Mm. So we... um, Because of your fear of it happening. Oh, absolutely. You know, know, it was kind of like when you do everything right and something that you so wanted wasn't given, was taken. And then you think, okay, well, my body might have failed me, and I'm not going to set that up again. So You I, wanted to control that. Situation. I wanted to control that. And I thought yeah. controlling for certain was adoption. So mm-hmm. we looked into it. We got the book. We got the home study. We were filling all of that out. And four months into it, we were pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, uh, I, I've yeah. heard so many stories of yeah. people who... Um, that happens to like they go down the road of adoption or they mm-hmm. think they can't have any more kids and mm-hmm. in the process or right after they end up yes yes having it. it's interesting and it's wildly exciting and so nerve-wracking and so scary so yeah i was scary. gonna say did it terrify you in a way absolutely absolutely and the only thing that i could go back in my mind um that i clung to was the doctor um said, if you should ever get pregnant again, this was the high risk doctor, mm-hmm. you come see me right away. Wow. 
because we can we might be able to do something. So that would, uh, obviously that's what you that's did. That's what we did. Yeah, that's what we did. So without getting all medical, but um, they they figured out why oh, I went good. into early labor. Okay. Um, and I had what was called a surclage done, where they actually stitch up your uterus, mm. and um, and then I carried um, our son Addison up until thirty six weeks. Mm. And he was born, yeah. So what was that experience like? Was it bittersweet? Was it, I mean, were you thinking about your daughter and on one t- side of your of it, but just overwhelmed with joy for your son? Yeah, there's so many emotions about it. I mean, I think I... I know I was probably the worst patient because I was always calling saying, can I, can we do another sonogram? Can I just mm-hmm. see Addison one more time? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I rented uh, the heart monitor so that I could listen to his heart at home because mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure that everything was okay in there. Um, so I, it was it was kind of comforting in the way that it was a boy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I didn't want... Um, Addison to compete with the memory of Hannah. Mm. I wanted that to stay intact. I yeah. didn't want to forget her. Yeah, I didn't. Sure. Um, but I, I was high risk, so the doctor saw me a lot. I was always at my appointments, and and yeah. I so was, during that nine month process, mm-hmm. um, do you feel like there was a constant anxiety? Did it develop into a trust? Did it? What, what was your like mindset on a? You know, that's that's a long period of time to carry a human being in your life, and especially with this fear of, oh my gosh, is this going to happen again? What? Yeah. What was there a transformation during that period? I, I wish I could. It would be a good story if I said um, there, yeah. <laughs> everything was. Sure. No, it was high anxiety. Yeah, it was high anxiety, and anxiety starts preterm labor. So it was just like knowing, you know, I can't be anxious, mm. but yet I'm anxious, you know. So you surrender to it, yeah. and you take it day by day mm. by day by day. Um, and my husband was my rock, you know. Mm. He was the one that was he. Did he have anxiety too? No, he didn't. Mm. He didn't. He uh, he was very. Very calming in That's all great. of it. He was very calming in all of it, and um, yeah. Okay, so you, I know that you don't have just one boy, but you have three boys. Three boys. So, yeah. um, was there the same anxiety for the next one? No, actually, that kind of weaned off mm-hmm. because I think I carried Addison to to full term. The delivery was beautiful. Um, that experience was mm-hmm. all. Great, um, and I was so grateful. Um, and when you have a baby after losing a baby, it's called your rainbow child. Mm. And so, um, in a way, I felt like it was God's promise that mm-hmm. that I, that my arms wouldn't be empty all of my life that mm. I that I would have a baby. Um, so after a year, uh, um, I'm sorry, Addison was a year old. We were pregnant with Andrew, mm. um, our second son. And then I didn't seem as anxious. And it probably was because I was so busy um, with just taking care of Addison yeah, yeah. and just running around. Sure. Yeah. And, so. and then you had a third. And so. then we had Noah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we had two babies in Florida. And then my husband's job moved us here to Tennessee. And then Noah uh, was born uh, right here in Nashville. Okay. And uh, yeah, and and he was um, born about five weeks early, but all healthy. And yes, just another blessing for sure. So fast forward, um, things, things, you you know, you have your children, Mm -hmm. you've been through all this. And talk to me about how you got to this 
getting back to your childhood of mm-hmm. art and writing. And I also want to hear about the, your nonprofit. Oh, yeah. So after Hannah, um, it really made me question deeply mm. life mm-hmm. and who I am and, and what am I doing and why am I here? <laughs> you know, those big questions. Um, and how the can, meaning of the universe. <laughs> yes. And how can I live for us both? Because I felt as though I was living for Hannah as well. So it made me brave to, to really look at my life and question things that are meaningful and things that are not. Okay. So it became like the sorting basis of, you know, the material things, not so important, you know, deep, authentic relationships, very important, mm. marriage, very important, you know, mm. um, my space in the world, very important because God only made one of me mm-hmm. and God only made one of Hannah. So I found myself thinking, how is Hannah growing in me? And how is she stretching me? Mm. And maybe her role was to help my role and let me be a voice for her. And so I knew with that what I needed to do was to look at myself and work Mm. on myself. And that was a very scary reality because I think at that point I was just going, moving. You know, I was in motion, kind of inertia, kind of moving, moving, moving. Mm. So it became this journey of self-reflection at the same time of growing my family. Mm. So I started uh, journaling and writing what what the things I loved to do when I was younger. And I I always uh, wrote in little books. You know, I had my grandmother worked at a a paper company Mm -hmm. and she would bring home all the irregular, you know, scratch pads. Sure. And I would collect them all and I would just doodle all the way I felt or the way I seen, you know, the world or the trees or the butterflies. I mean, I was always such a free spirit. So that was in my journal when I was looking back. I said, okay, I love to write. I think I might be a writer. I'm not sure. You know, and then mm-hmm. I just, when words wouldn't come, I would start sketching things. Right. And then I thought, well, maybe I'm an artist. I'm not sure. Yeah. Maybe. So um, telling... Hannah's story, it became apparent to me that the best way, um, the, un- the most non-judgmental way is to write and just let it all flow and let it all out. And it was very therapeutic for me to do that. So I started a blog and I started writing in the blog um, and people that had experienced loss start commenting on it. And then um, my audience kind of grew from, you know, talking about a stigma in our society mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. not talked about, you know, losing a child. So um, it just kind of gave me the courage to keep keep writing mm-hmm. and to keep telling that story. So you started the blog mm-hmm. and then you started a nonprofit? Well, the nonprofit is part of an, it's a, it's a, um, a chapter of a national mm-hmm. nonprofit. Okay. Um, and it's called Sharing of Middle Tennessee. And it's been in the Nashville area for 25 years. Mm-hmm. And I chair it now um, for the last 10 years I've been chairing it. And it is a support group that meets uh, once a month at Centennial Hospital. Mm-hmm. And it's free. And we just go and tell our stories and support each other wherever we are. We just kind of show up. Is it, grief. For, is it for parents who lost children? It's for parents that lost children mm-hmm. under the age of one year old. Mm-hmm. And uh, we do events twice a year, a a walk event where we honor and say their name aloud. And then we do a candlelight around the holidays. Uh, We light a candle in memory of their their child. That's got to be um, an amazing, amazing environment to work in. And and I'm sure the stories that you've heard and the families Mm -hmm. you've met, but it's also, I'm sure it's going to be very emotional too. I mean, what what have you experienced during your chair of that and your involvement? Like, what has it meant to your life? Um, 
I think it's so important to give space to people to tell their stories. That's why I really appreciate what you do. Sure. Um, I, I think um, the taboo of of not wanting to upset people by talking about death, mm. um, uh, it, it makes people carry their grief with them until they have a safe spot to do that. And sometimes it isolates them where they don't have a spot to do that. Mm. And I think that um, leads to mental health issues, you know, mm. depression, anxiety. So it's so important um, to, to make space for that and to talk about grief and to talk about death. And even though it's uncomfortable, we still need to talk about it. Yeah, and especially this specific type of death mm-hmm. and grief. It's so, you know, it's got to be probably on the spectrum of, of so many things mm-hmm. the most uncomfortable. No. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like if you lose a, a husband, you're a widower, you right, know, right. and and there's no word for if you lose a child, you know, there's... Or especially an unborn child or right. one that's newborn. Right. Um, it's just something that, that yes. they don't have a history. Mm-hmm. You don't have really a history with them. Exactly. But yet the pain is can be just as deep, if not deeper. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, what can, can you give me a couple of things that, uh, or stories or experiences or, or about, about being involved in it's called sharing sharing. Yes. Um, what give me, um, you know, a couple of stories or, or what you've experienced or is there a family or maybe your own healing that you've experienced from it? Um, I think one of the things that we talked about, and I'll give you a, for instance, the last yeah. event that we had, um, we always talk about how important it is to come together in a group and to celebrate our babies mm-hmm. and to say their name aloud mm-hmm. and to affirm them. You know, it's mm-hmm. that affirmation that we long for. Hearing their name is what we long for. Right. And there was a story last July about this orca whale. It was a female whale that gave birth, and she gave birth to a, a stillborn calf. Mm-hmm. And she carried this calf around for 17 days over a thousand miles of ocean. Mm-hmm. And she kept up with her pod. That was the amazing part of the story that we were all talking about. The pod would take turns holding the calf on the mm-hmm. tip of their nose while the mother would go down and submerse and eat and, and, and come back up and then they would hand the baby over to her. Mm-hmm. So it was like they allowed her to carry that grief and the unknown that long, Mm. taking turns, holding it. And I think that's what we do at sharing. Like we hold not only a space, but we hold on to that hope until that person's ready to hope again. You know, we hold on to that, that light until that person's ready to see that Mm. and come out of the darkness. Um, so I think to me that that story of that orca just shows how important having your own pod and having Mm. your own space. And yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. That's deep. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I love what I love what. No, that's good. I love what you said that we long to hear their name. Talk to me about that. Well, um, I think people may think that bringing up our child that died actually upsets us. Mm-hmm. And um, from my own experience, and from the other families that I speak with, we want to hear their name. Mm-hmm. We want to hear that you remember the day that they were born or the day that they passed, um, or maybe even all the days in between, you know, um, because it's not saying it means that it didn't happen. 
And um, there's this line in the Velveteen Rabbit, right? The book, it says, once you're real, you can't become unreal. Mm. And that's how we feel, you know, and and to not have a space to, even though we don't have all these long memories, or to your point, we don't have stories or a history, but but deeply we know who they are, you know, They, they were born of love, you know, and that love goes doesn't go away you know do you believe that you'll see hannah again oh yes absolutely yes i count on it count on it and what's your what are you looking forward to um you know the other day my friend said that she believed when we pass away and go to heaven that um for those babies we get to raise them again Mm -hmm. like like i will meet her at the point that she left me and then I'll get to be her mom and mm-hmm. raise her. And I thought, how awesome is that? You know, cause I'll be surrounded by all my family that have, that's already up there, you know, and, uh, and that's very comforting to me. That's, that's beautiful. Um, let's transition a little bit from that to, um, your art. Yes. How, how did that come about? And because I, I love what I see on Instagram, uh, and I'm sure there's a ton more. But um, talk to me about where that came from and how you're um, nurturing that right now. Well, I think for up until my uh, our boys uh, started high school, I was able to blog about them and talk about you know their growing up and some of the aches and pains of growth. But once they hit high school, I felt like I couldn't couldn't write about them anymore. They would be embarrassed, you know. <laughs> They'd be mm-hmm, like, "Bob, mm-hmm. stop!" So then I had all this expression that I needed to do something with. So I, I wasn't writing as often. Um, and then it was a December. Uh, I want to say 2014, uh, I was getting ready for the candlelight event that we hold for our families. And every year we gift our families with an ornament with their baby's name on it. And I bought myself a wood burning pen and I bought some wood and I started wood burning the name of each beloved's name into the ornament. And there was this wave of just peace coming over Mm. me doing it. And I thought, Mm. oh, I really like this. I'm enjoying this. Um, And then it started my curiosity. Okay, well, wood, wood burning, wood carving, and then you can figure everything out on YouTube, basically. So I started buying tools. And I think my husband thought I was going crazy. He's like, you want a jigsaw? (laughs) What are you doing? And I said, well, I just feel like this is a form of expression and um, I'm just kind of going with it. So I self-taught myself how to use a Dremel tool, um, started uh, wood, wood carving and wood burning and you know, people would call me and say, I have some barn wood and I would go to a woodshed and load up my truck and and start and start making things. But I'm very mm-hmm. intentful. Like if, I, if I'm not feeling it, you know, if I'm not feeling inspired, right. I don't mm-hmm. make anything at all. I just kind of uh, I just wait for it to flow, and then and then I make something. So it's really a form of prayer. My work is a form of prayer. Hmm. Absolutely. And do you do these just for yourself? Do you do them for other people? Or yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> um, I, I, no, I don't do them for myself. I, I don't think I have anything in my in my house that's my own. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I started out doing it and donating pieces. 
um, it, I thought that was a great way to honor my daughter mm. um, by by donating each piece. And then I had a couple friends encourage me to start selling them um, about three years ago. So I started placing them in some coffee shops. And we had a, a artisan market in Green Hills Mall. We had a group of artist friends that came together and opened up that store. Mm. Um, and so it's a little bit of both. I try to be very... Um, intent my intent is to give at least uh, a quarter of my work away a year hmm. to charities yeah i love the the mixed media of um i know you do painting but you do mm-hmm. the wood burning and mm-hmm. things like that so so that's that's beautiful and, and if people want to see it they can go to etsy if they want to purchase something yeah etsy um i'm in the coffee house downtown franklin um the franklin pharmacy i have some some work there as well yeah, and the the Instagram is uh, art. It's all one word: art sunshine. A R T S O N S H I N E. It's really beautiful. You know, before we started the podcast, you talked to me about being brought up Catholic, and you know, now now um, at this point in your life, like kind of a new chapter of art and creativity. Um, you started doing something again. Uh, or for the first time, you told me that you were gonna that you were in the po- in the process of reading the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that mean to you? Because you also expressed to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, that that wasn't something that was a normal part of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but now, at this point in your life, what is what is what are those stories specifically? You said you're reading chronologically mm-hmm. from Genesis on through. What do those stories mean to you now um, at this point in your life with what you've been through and the experiences? Um, because I think so many times for many of us, the Bible and those stories, they have uh, all a lot of baggage around our childhood. They have a lot of baggage about you know what we were taught or the framework or environment that we were brought up in. So we always we, we still see them through those lens many times. So I always find it interesting when I talk to someone who's an adult or later in their life who's coming to it fresh Mm -hmm. and doesn't maybe have a lot of that baggage. Talk to me about what it's meaning for you right now as you're kind of going through it, some of these things for the first time, right? Yes, absolutely. So I think um, up to leading to reading the Bible, Chronological, I read like my life depended on it. I read so many books from so many different authors and in the hopes of um, making myself a better version, you know, like trying to grow. Um, And my husband and I always say, um, you never work so hard on yourself like you do when you're a parent because you want to get you right so that you get your kids right, you know? Don't want to mess your kids up. Exactly. You don't want to <laughs> screw them up. You're like, ah. Right. Oh. So we've been working and reading and doing all of that. And in the spirit that we live in now, there's always there's this, this thirst for truth, mm-hmm. right? And then it was like, God hit me over the head. He's like, why haven't you ever read the Bible from start to end, you know? So for Christmas this year, I asked for a Bible and I asked for a study Bible so that it could kind of walk me through it. So I am still in the book of Genesis because mm-hmm. it is very rich. But the book of Job, um, it just speaks to me. Mm. It really does speak to me about the trials and tribulations. And and Is there one specific thing about Job that, that is really resonating with you right now? Yes, I, I think 
um, of course, the heartbreak of the couple of weeks of where he has his whole family ripped from him. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, of course, that is so catastrophic, and I can't imagine. But what, what resonates with me was that at the end of that, to have the hope to try again, because he goes on to have a family again mm. and to have a child again, mm. knowing that it wasn't for certain that it would happen all over to him again. And not only did he have a family again, um, he uh, treated his family differently. He treated mm. his daughters differently from mm. that transformation. Mm. He gave him gave his daughters half their inheritance from him. Mm. Girls didn't ha- get any inheritance from their father back in the day. And he gave them hippie names like Dove and Cinnamon, you know, mm-hmm. not, not this, you know, conservative, you know. So for me, that just struck a chord of after we lost Hannah and then we had Addison, that in-between time, that in-between time of really trying to say, okay, God, you could take all of this again from me, mm. you know, and, and where are you? And where am I? And am I okay with that? Mm. You know? So, yeah. That's good. That is so good. And, and I think it's so helpful for us to hear these things from, from people like you and in and, and, and our own lives as we look at, at these experiences and scriptures with fresh eyes um, to really try to see what people were feeling mm-hmm. in the midst of that. I think we, we either read those things from try to say, oh, this is historically accurate, or this is not accurate, or we try to get some sort of doctrine or theology rather than just saying, what was going through Job's mind? What was going through his his first wife's heart and mind as he was observed? She was observing her children dying. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think I heard someone recently say that Job's wife gets a bad rap because, <laughs> you know, she kind of is... Uh, interpreted and is as portrayed as this not a nice person in it, mm-hmm. and yet we don't know what's going through her heart and mind as she sees all of her children die, right. as she sees her husband that she loves on his deathbed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think she probably wanted someone to blame. Yeah, you know. Yeah, we can relate with to that. Oh, totally. I can. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. 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 I, I so, agree. so giving her a little grace. Yeah, I give her a lot of grace. Right. Yeah. Because I can't imagine as a mom mm. seeing all your children die, mm. and then not not having a place to put all of that heartache and grief. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, your spouse is usually the one that absorbs all of that in you. You know, your bad day, your your struggles. You know, that's the person that is your mm-hmm. constant in your life. So, mm-hmm. yeah. and so. As you're going through this, and um, as you certainly your art and your writing has got to be therapeutic for you, and all this, like it's got to be a new outlet for you that all these things that you've felt and you've learned and you've experienced and are continuing just kind of flows out of you. Is, is, do you feel like that's what it's there for? It does. I mean, I, I think what I have to work on, and I think this is, we're so utterly human, but it's that ego in you that tries to say it's not good enough, mm-hmm. or who do you think you are putting your stuff out there and you haven't, you know, you don't have an art degree, or look at so-and-so's picture, or look at how many followers somebody else has and you don't. Mm-hmm. And so to approach a blank canvas and to get lost in the process and not be tied to the outcome mm-hmm. has been a 
big learning experience for me. And, mm. and, to, and, and to pray, and to pray that God uses me as an instrument, mm. you know? Because mm. it's kind of like writing or, or, or podcast. Or, you don't know who on the other end is listening or interpreting or, or who you're, you're helping. Mm. Yeah. What would you say um, to that mom that is, is struggling with loss right now? They may, she may have lost a child that was newborn or maybe a child that was older or, or mourning the loss of, you know, a failed marriage or, or whatever. What, what, what words can you offer on the other side now and, and you know, so, so far away from it, but yet I'm sure it's very close even today. Um, what, what words of encouragement or thoughts or help would you, would you say to that person? That they're not alone, you know? I mean, you feel so alone, though. You do feel like you want to crawl up in a ball and just stay isolated. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's your first reaction. But um, your spirit will prompt you, will, will your conscious, you know, will tell you, okay, you need to get out, you know, even, and, and just even if it's going to the supermarket, you know, just making that first step mm-hmm. out of your house or back into um, the world because the world's still happening. Mm-hmm. I think that's the first thing is that when you are in your grief, you want the world to stop and you want everyone to acknowledge your grief and your pain. And when that doesn't happen, you feel like, okay, the world's still going on and I'm stuck in this moment. So I think the first thing is to wash your face off, to get out, even if it's just going to the supermarket. And then to look into support groups mm-hmm. event, or, or even confide in a friend, meet for, you know, with a friend for coffee, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. someone that you can talk to. Um, you can't carry it by yourself. You just can't. Mm-hmm. You can't. You have to talk to another person about it. Yeah. Um, and that time does heal. I know that's such a terrible cliche, but as time does go on, it does. It does. The waves of grief are less. They're less blowing. You know, mm-hmm. there, there might be a trigger here and there that stops you in your tracks. You'll, you'll be in the middle of, I remember once I was in the middle of Toys R Us, you know, I was down an aisle and I was um, buying a baby shower gift and it hit me. It just, and I'm crying, you know, but, but it does sucker punch you grief, mm. but, but it waves over. Um, I guess what I hear you saying is don't isolate yourself. No. Mm-mm. Yeah, I've learned that in my life, and I know it's got to be the same um, on, on many different levels and probably much deeper is that you want, as a, as a mom who's mm-hmm. carried that child mm-hmm. or even given birth to a child that you've lost, that, that you want to be alone and you want to curl up and mm-hmm. just... Go to sleep forever. <laughs> yes. And, and to that point, you know, some of the work that we do at Sharing is we go and we teach empathy classes mm. uh, to uh, Vanderbilt School of Nursing. And be, because nurses are amazing people, amazing. And if you haven't experienced a loss, but yet you want to know how to give empathetic care to a bereaved family, uh, and you're reaching out to moms like us to tell you, well, that's such a great opportunity. And what we tell nurses is that um, let the parents spend time with their baby, their deceased mm-hmm. baby. Um, take lots of pictures. I mean, my pictures of Hannah are the most, you know, treasured belonging that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, and her blanket and her hat and, and all of those uh, memorabilia of her are things that are priceless to me. So. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for for spending time sharing um, these things. 
let's talk a little bit about a couple of things. I want people to be able to get in touch with you, your writings, and your art. But if someone uh, is interested in the, the sharing organization, how do they how do they find that? Yeah, a good start would be to go to our website. It's uh, sharingmiddletn.org. Okay. And then it'll explain when, where our meetings are and what day they're, they're held. Okay. And um, your blog, your writings, people can find that where? That's sunshine with an O. So mm-hmm. it's S-O-N-S-H-I-N-E blog.com. Okay. And then your artwork. Artwork is on the Etsy um, mm-hmm. online store at Sunshine Love. Okay. Okay. And are you going to be doing any art shows or anything like that, but locally they can find it here in and around Nashville? Yes. So um, downtown Franklin, the, mm-hmm. the Spring Fest is going to happen on April 27th. I will be at the coffee house in downtown Franklin. Great. Great. Well, Susan, thank you so much. And um, I appreciate your honesty and your openness. And um, I will be reading and, and looking at your art. Okay. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely.